This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, I'm Bree Davies, and I'm here with my producer, Paul Caroli. All this week, we're counting down our top stories in Denver of 2022. Good morning, Bree. Hi, Paul. So I want to like look back at what we've been thinking about this week when we're looking at 2022. We've talked about the abs. We were Hockey Town USA. We had a huge pivotal moment. Huge story. For a, a franchise that it was our second. Was that our second? Third Stanley Cup. Third Stanley 96, Cup. 96, 2001, now 2022. <sighs> so awesome. And the, and the Avs are not an old team here. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we even we have a show about that. We talk about their previous life as the Nordiques, right? Mm-hmm. And then we went into uh, the tipping conversation, this ongoing conversation about the balance between um, minimum wage, tipping, where who's paying the quote service fee that shows up on your receipt? Like what? Yeah. What are the? We looked into the numbers of restaurant workers money and restaurants themselves the health of restaurants our dining scene yeah it was a big conversation still on the ropes been a tough few years and then yesterday we talked about the rise of worker power the unionization of across a lot of industries in particular here um the grocery workers yep that was the number three top story of the year but there's two more that were more impactful more interesting more i don't know more how would you what, talk to us about how we ranked this? Maybe let's check in on the methodology here for a sec, Brie. I mean, it was tough. We're looking at big stories in the city. There's a lot of things going on. I think hockey was number five because while it's like a really special thing for us, it maybe doesn't have the impacts of something economically, mm-hmm. like the tipping conversation, the health of restaurants. Um, and then working down the middle was the rise of worker power. I think that hit the middle of our list because it's an ongoing conversation. We're watching it happen. We're still, there's a lot unknown, I would say, still mm-hmm. left. Um, but now today we're talking about something that has impacted Colorado on so many fronts for the last, well, more than the last decade for sure. This is decades in the making. Um, and it continues to change. Uh, and that was 10 years of legal weed. Yep. The anniversary year. It's a huge year. It's a major it's a milestone. Bree, talk talk to me about how you feel about this. This is something you've lived through the entire process. You've seen it from its humble beginnings to the, the highs of when the industry was very profitable and now to what seems like a, a new low. It's... It's so complicated. I mean, I it's interesting to be alive and watch an industry be born into your city. I mean, it's not, you know what I mean? We're not, mm-hmm. like, I, I guess I think about the time before legalization, especially when I was in high school, like what a 420 celebration looked like, for instance. It was not a celebration. It was a protest, right? You went mm-hmm. to the Capitol on 420. You're just like, 
we have the right. Like, we want to do this. And then fast forward to now and like you have shows sponsored in Civic Center Park on yeah. 420 where they bring in people like Lil Wayne to play for you. Like the city has fully embraced it on so many levels. And I think that's why it's been so successful. It's not just the legalization component. I mean, and we have to acknowledge, and we've talked about this there. I think we had Hashem Coates on to talk about this. Mm -hmm. There are still struggles within this complex conversation about quote legalization. Who is still being penalized for the drug war? Who is still in jail or dealing with things that happened pre-legalization? How has it impacted our communities? I see these fights. There's currently a fight going on in Bonnie Bray that they don't want a dispensary. Right. And I just... I want to say, come on over to my side of town. Um, it looks very different and it speaks a lot to the makeup of communities and where people's power is. It's really interesting. So, but that's kind of what this this show we're about to share again is all about, right? Absolutely. This was um, the Platte Park neighborhood and a conversation about public consumption is still this fraught thing. How and we've had episodes about this too. We went to um, what was that private place, Tetra Lounge, mm -hmm. with our friend Anne Maria Wad, friend of the show, weed legalization expert, to talk about like how do we do this? And we're still, it's still complicated. Again, growing up here, being in the music scene in particular, once legalization happened, there are certain bars and certain venues and certain places that kind of just like turned a blind eye to folks who were smoking. In certain part, you know, usually on a patio, but concert it, venues. Yes. Yeah. And it was very different going on tour and being somewhere like Arizona and being like, hey, y'all, you can't smoke on the sidewalk outside of this venue. We're not at home. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it's still a complex situation that we're trying to figure out. How do we now make it a thing that's like alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. You can go to a bar and get drunk. It's still hard to go to a smoking lounge, you know? Well, that's what I think is so interesting about this story is like, do people want a place to go to get high? Do people want the equivalent of a bar? I feel like that's why this 10-year anniversary is so interesting. It's like, this is the perfect time to check in and see where people are at. Like, where... What kind? What what is the shape of legal weed? How do people want to buy it? How do people want to have it in their lives? Like that's that's what the culture changing has has meant for me. And then, you know, the fact that there's still people like those neighbors and Bonnie Bray who said no to the to the dispensary and how you know listeners are about to hear in Platte Park who fought so hard against the public consumption lounge. Like there are still people that do not understand it that that still have a lot of power and. I don't know. There's this, this spectrum. It's just so, I just don't get it. I'll just say it again. I'm a sober person, which means I don't drink alcohol. Uh -huh. Bars are so, can become really awful places very fast. For sure. <laughs> and I just am, I'm just perplexed by people having such an aversion to weed smoking, but like alcohol ruins families. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, you know where I am with this. Yeah. I don't know. People don't understand it. People don't understand it. I, think. I don't think they get it. So, okay. Well, let's, let's hear from those people. Let's hear from the neighborhood itself. That's what's so great about this episode. We hear from everybody, everybody on every side of this issue. And it's a tricky one. How do you feel about it? I don't know how I feel about it. It's still complicated. Yeah. It's still complicated. 
Okay, so this episode was called 1800 South Broadway Part 1. There is a Part 2 and then also a talkback episode where we listened to some voicemails that you all left us and responded to them about the story. Uh, it initially ran on April 8th, 2022. So if you want to hear those other two episodes, just go back into the feed around April. And the other thing to know is that uh, this episode features former CityCast Denver producer, Xandra McMahon. So it'll be nice for longtime listeners to hear her voice again. I know it was for me. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to CityCast Denver. Uh, we've got something special today. We're not going to do our traditional Friday chat because producer Paul Caroli, who's here with me, has uh, been working on something special. Hey. And uh, host Brie Davies is also here. Hi, hi, Brie. Hi. I think before we get into your special project, Paul, um, I'm going to like keep making this sound as mysterious as possible. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> before we get in... Um, Bree, do you do you have any inkling about what this is about? I'm just curious. Like, what do you do? You even know what Paul's been looking into these last couple of weeks? Uh, kinda. I know it's related to an address. An address. This project keeps being referred to as. What I don't know if I should give it away. Re reveal it. 1800 Broadway. 1800 South Broadway. I was just gonna say South. It has to be South Broadway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 1800 South Broadway. Do you know the neighborhood at all? It's it's I think the backside of. Platt Park or? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally do. And it's like bars on Broadway and then like just a block off, it's a residential neighborhood. And that's the same strip of South Broadway that was once known as the Green Mile for the proliferation of marijuana businesses. Uh, I'll tell you, the antiquers that were there before the Green Mile did not like that they tried to co-opt that area and call it the Green Mile because it was also Antique Row prior to. So hmm. shout out to all those the antiquers still out there, turn of the century antiques. They're a great spot. I love that. Blinkies uh, used to be oh, over there, the antiques, yeah. which is now I think fascination actually I think is Blinkies. Anyway, that's hmm. the area we're talking about. Either maybe you know it as the Green Mile or maybe you're a little older and you know it as the Antique Row. Okay. Well, I think the best way to uh, maybe go through this arc, Paul, mm -hmm. is to start with you mm -hmm. and explain why you wanted to start looking into this. Like, what 
what was what was the tip? What was the impetus? <sighs> okay, okay. This was um, it was a few weeks ago. It started when um, somebody that I know posted a picture of a flyer that they had received on their door. I'll just quote from it a little bit here. It says, Dear neighbor, we're organizing Platt Park and other nearby residents to try to oppose, all caps oppose, the Cloud Nine Weed Lounge, which is planning to open at 1800 South Broadway. And it goes on to talk about this tension and some problems that were happening in the community around a hookah lounge that used to be there. And so... I thought this was incredibly intriguing because I knew this area is the Green Mile and I thought, okay, yeah, a weed lounge. That makes sense for the Green Mile. The city of Denver is starting this new program that's going to be allowing uh, public consumption of weed in public businesses. Like people are going to be able to smoke weed. Can we talk about how wild it is that we're just starting this and we've had legal weed for <laughs> almost a decade? I know. I know. It's ah, crazy. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I mean, also, I just want to say... Anytime you get a note on your door that says, dear neighbor, it usually means something not fun or cool. <laughs> it's not a M Mr. Rogers type. Or dear like neighbor. come to a party. It's like, we're trying to stop something. It's like, oh, that's just like gripe. the tenor of every dear neighbor <laughs> note. Mm -hmm. So this dear neighbor note, that, that was the tenor. And they were trying to build support to stop this thing from happening. And there was a phone number on there. And so I was so intrigued by this. I thought... Heck yeah, I want to figure out what the deal is here. I texted the number. I identified myself as a journalist. I said, hey, I'd love to talk about this sometime. Like, this is the next thing in legal weed. This is how weed's going to be changing the city next. I want to know how it's playing out here. Um, I got a text back in like 10 minutes that said, no, I'm not talking to you. Like, go away, please. And then I thought that was that. I uh, signed off of work. I thought that was the end of the story. I was like a little bit curious still. Um, I don't know. The next part's a little bit delicate. I don't I don't know. Is this the part where you were in the bath? I know. Like, are we going to talk about how Paul was in the bathtub? Yes. I like to think about this as my Hunter S. Thompson moment, but I can see how other people might. I'm thinking like Ernie from Sesame Street moment. Let's do, let's say that. Well, here I am in my tubby again. And my tubby's all filled with water and nice fluffy suds. But I think the, the important thing is you were clocked off. You were trying to relax. Mm -hmm. You were sinking into your evening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then... And then I get a call. Yeah. From the guy who I had texted. Uh, I'm going to call him Dave. And uh, Dave was coming in hot. He was really worried about being contacted by a journalist. Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. But he called you. He called me. He so called me. People always say they don't want to talk to journalists, but they really do. Well, that, I, I, I didn't know what to do with that, actually, because like he kept saying, we uh, there's a core group of us who are organizing against this weed lounge, and we've made a decision not to go to the media with this. And I just kept saying, like, you called me, dude. And he kept telling me, I'm, we're not, we don't want a story. And it's like, uh, well... Here we are. Okay. So I asked him some questions about the situation and uh, honestly just got more intrigued by what was happening because he described neighbors having guns shot in their yards, gunshots in windows, late night violence in this neighborhood, all revolving around this hookah bar that used to be at 1800 South Broadway. Which is the proposed site for 
the weed lounge now, right? Exactly. So what happened to the hookah bar? Well, there's not really that much information out there about this situation. So I needed to figure out really what was happening. Because if this was about hookah, that's one thing. But if it's about this location, that's another. And if it's about weed, that's a whole other thing entirely. So I made my first call. Hello. Hi, how are you? I, I'm good. How are you today, Councilman? Uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. This is Councilman Jolin Clark. He represents the area. So Councilman Clark, can you tell me when you first started hearing about the issues revolving around the hookah lounges on South Broadway? Uh, well, I wouldn't say hookah lounges on South Broadway. I would say hookah lounge, but it was, uh, without going back and being able to pull the exact date, but it was a good probably year and a half to two years um, where I was getting emails and phone calls about the problems at um, this specific hookah lounge. We're talking about Habibi Hookah Cafe at 1800 South Broadway, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. So what, like, what was the situation as far as you could tell? Uh, we had a, you know, just a really bad operator who was letting things get completely out of hand combined with a license type that uh, had never really had any kind of conversation about the types of regulations that we have around um, you know, alcohol and marijuana in terms of what time is an appropriate time to close. And so really things would peak as an out crowd issue. People would have to leave the bars because they do have to close at a certain time or because on that part of Broadway, they tend to even close earlier because there's not enough traffic all to keep up until 2 a.m. And people who really should have gone home and called it a night were continuing wanting to continue um, their evening festivities and they would show up uh, to this lounge and and just wreak havoc. I, I don't know exactly how this all you know happens or or how they end up at at this lounge, but it was a problem at multiple hookah lounges, not in my district prior to this becoming the hot spot. So there there is a um, you know, a, a group of people who, who were maybe causing problems at multiple ones. And as one would get in trouble and shut down, then they would move to another one. And, and it, and it, it happened to all come together at this lounge on top of that, you know, they, they were cited multiple times, uh, for selling tobacco to minors, um, and then for operating without a license, uh, uh at near the end. So they were just, you know, a, a bad operator who was not, you know, running their business in, in a way that was conducive to creating a safe environment. And so what Councilman Clark did is he worked with the city to basically get that hookah place shut down. It's it's an empty building now. Hmm. And and then pretty much immediately within a week, uh, very similar problems um, uh, at the Insomnia Lounge that was um, down the street. And that's kind of what led to the proposal that came through uh, when we were discussing flavored tobacco um, and hookah because the original proposal for flavored tobacco would have made all hookah lounges go out of business overnight. Um, and so I worked with the National Hookah Association and the responsible uh, small business owners who run hookah lounges in Denver who aren't, you know, uh, letting that things get so out of control that it's, it's just, you know, not a safe situation. Worked with them to craft um, some hours of operation restrictions for uh, hookah lounges to operate in the city um, that that then uh, led to enough people feeling comfortable exempting hookah from the 
um, flavor ban, which ultimately was vetoed and so is not on the books, but the but the hours of operation bill uh, is. Councilman Clark's bill limits hookah lounges from closing after midnight. So they have they have to close at midnight now. And and they're thinking that will help curb the the violence that they're seeing after I'm guessing, yeah, the bars let out and then people are just like, where do I go? That's that's his logic here. I, I thought that was fascinating. I mm-hmm. mean Remember all the news coverage last year about the the flavored tobacco ban Mm -hmm, and all of the hysteria around that? And like, I don't know about you all, but I recognize that Islamophobia is a problem in this country. Oh, yeah. And I think that maybe that might have been a factor and that some of this situation was exacerbated by tension either felt or tension perceived by people on different sides of that debate. Yeah, maybe like cultural misunderstandings around the purpose and use of hookah as a social uh, gathering kind of thing, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, Councilman Clark was obviously hoping that that would be the end of all the issues at 1800 South Broadway. But what he didn't know was that the owner of the building, not the tenant, the tenant was, you know, they were kicked out, they were evicted. The owner of the building uh, had other plans. Uh, this was all going down at the same time that the city of Denver was opening, or I should say reopening applications for marijuana hospitality businesses. Uh, they tried this a few years ago with a different regulatory framework, but it was so restrictive that only one business was ever able to open. Now they're doing it a little bit differently, mostly because of this social equity component, which says that for like six years after these this application period opens, only people that meet certain social equity criteria are able to apply for these businesses. It's an effort to redress the impact of the war on drugs. And that's what happened at 1800 South Broadway. The owner of the building applied. It was within weeks of the shooting and the shutdown. Okay, so so th- like you said, these have been a long time coming, these, these public consumption licenses for weed. Mm-hmm. And I am curious though, like what, what does it take to, to get that kind of license at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because the neighborhood is obviously really hurt by what was happening at the Hook Cafe. And the same person that owns the building, that owned the building, is now applying for this new thing. So there's not a lot of trust there. And that's actually really important for this process. Because it's like, oh, same guy, new business. Exactly. So I checked in with the Department of Excise and License and they told me that, I'm quoting from an email here uh, from a spokesperson, the public has a right to voice their opinion for or against all of our hospitality establishment applications and public opposition or support is a consideration for all licensing decisions. I wonder, always wonder like what that actually means. Like how much does the public or community input on a license dictate if it gets approved or not? Because like in my neighborhood, this recently just happened too in terms of like someone was get, trying to get a liquor license for mm. a venue and the neighborhood organized against it. And I don't know the outcome, but I always wonder, did it matter? Hmm. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I don't know. That's part of this story too. This is a perfect test case for that and this new program. Does the public input actually matter? Because in this case, the public has a lot to say about this. Yeah, and I'm sure they're going to show up and make their voices heard at this hearing. Mm -hmm. And I was down there last week, actually. I checked in. I was just knocking on doors and talking to people on the street, lots of dog walkers. Um, It was a really nice day. And uh, 
I've got I've got a few clips here to share. Boy, where do I even start? This is such a long story. What? Uh, how do you feel about the 1800 South Broadway? That address? Because of the, the trouble we had at the hookah place, well, it got out of control. There was shots and stuff, and I could tell you. <laughs> I don't want to sit here and tell you all the stories I saw, but I saw stuff at like four in the morning where there was like 100 people on the street right down here. Wow. Yeah, like New York City or something. The hookah place would fill up fast, and then the people would just come out and they would park their cars out here, open their doors, and party. Um, I haven't seen anything personally, but I I heard about um, just like kind of late night parties. For a long time, it was it wasn't too bad, but you know, but last March we started getting like crazy traffic and. Um, a neighbor up there got their window blown out with a gunshot. Um, and then the police said that it was gang activity. The neighbor has a, a video of um, three people in a gunfight, you know, out here. Um, I had my four-year-old grandson over that night. All I know about it is that um, the location that was there prior, there was like a lot of like incidences where the cops are coming and people were, you know, staying up late. There was a shooting. And so I think for us and our family, we just want to make sure that our neighborhood continues to be safe. You know, that's what, that's why all these people set up a little thing to get rid of the hookah place. And so they're trying to do the same thing with the marijuana place now. I'll say my, my partner talks to them a lot, but like, I don't, yeah. Some of the, I think the, the current owner of the building came by and asked her to sign a petition and then like, Five minutes later, somebody from the uh, the neighborhood was like, hey, will you sign our counter petition? And she was like, okay, if you'll just like leave. I actually didn't know about it. And then when the owner came to my door a couple weeks ago, um, I looked it up and yeah, I do have an issue with it. I just didn't know about it. <laughs> the owner of the building? The, like the owner's son, I think, came by talking about his business plan and... You know, he could have said anything. He seemed like a nice guy. Yeah. Seemed like he wanted a do-over. I don't know. <laughs> have you heard about the uh, the building owner's application to open a weed lounge? I have, and, you know, and we're not happy about it. And um, the neighbors have been gathering signatures, you know, to, and we all plan on attending the hearing. Do you have a sense of how much of the neighborhood is opposed yeah, well, everyone I've talked to, but then, you know, um, it seems like they've got several hundred signatures right now. So you signed the petition yeah. to, to, to oppose opening the weed lounge? Yes. Mm-hmm. Why? Just based on the prior situation mm-hmm. and the, like, limited knowledge I had about it, that it was just wasn't, like, a good environment. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know much about it, to be honest, but... Uh, well, I know it was like really busy and there was lots of people out there, but I mean, I think it would be cool if they turned it into a spot that you could smoke weed. Yeah, you're the first person I've talked to who said that. <laughs> I mean, you would think that there would be more places like that in Denver or in Colorado in general since it's legalized here. It's kind of weird that it's so normal to go to a bar and have a drink, but then there's nowhere to like go smoke weed. You know, I have no problem with people going to smoke marijuana in a place. I mean, that's... You know, I don't know. I just don't know if this is the right place for it. As long as there's no violence in the neighborhood, just make sure there's Cheetos at the door and they'll probably be fine. <laughs> you know, we just don't want the same thing to happen again. What makes you think that it would, though? It's a different, it would be a different business. Well, um, 
marijuana seems to be popular. The hookah place was popular. If we're going to have a lot of people here at night, they're going to it's we're probably going to have a lot of the same thing. I mean, hookah, marijuana. I mean, I know they're two different things, but um, I don't know. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. Um, can I give you a what did you what did you think about that last point, Paul, of um, like they can't the neighbors are worried that this this new I mean, he's not new, but like this new plan for a different business and a different operator, maybe. Mm-hmm like can't guarantee that there won't be this same these same problems the same violence same partying atmosphere Alexandra I think that is a great question for me to answer after a quick break and a word from our sponsors <laughs> After these messages we'll be right back And we're back so, Paul, before the break, we were talking about um, the neighbors feeling like just because the old tenant of, you know, the owner of Habibi Hookah Lounge is gone doesn't mean that this problem is not going to continue with a new business owner, a new even a new type of business like this weed lounge idea. So I know, though, that you dug into this a little bit further to see, like, well, is it this one hookah lounge or is it all hookah lounges? Like, what is it about this spot? Yeah, I think that's that's really the question is, is it is it the hookah cafe or is it this location? Because if it's this location, then these problems will, I mean, presumably come back. So I thought the perfect person to answer this was the, the old tenant, the owner of Habibi Hookah Cafe. I could not track this person down, but I got pretty close. Hello? Yes. Hi, um, is this is this a George Mansoor? Yes. Hi, George. Um, my name's Paul. I'm a journalist based in Denver, and I'm working on a story about uh, 1800 South Broadway, um, and I'm looking for an owner of a business that used to operate there. I was the owner of the business, but uh, I sold it a long time ago. Oh, okay. So you were the owner of Habibi Hookah Cafe? Was. I was. So George is not not the exact person I was looking for. Uh, but because he used to run a hookah cafe out of this same location, I figured, you know, why not talk to him about it? Had he heard about the violence? Was that something he had to deal with when he owned the business? Was it always part of this neighborhood or was this something new? And I know it happened a lot of drama after I left with uh, new people by the hookah bar and they don't know how to run the business and they make a lot of trouble with everybody. But yeah, I know the neighborhood area this very well. George told me that there used to be a coffee shop at 1800 South Broadway until around 2004. Then someone knew about the building and he leased part of it to open his hookah cafe, which he ran until 2013, 2015-ish, when someone else took over. And then George says that person passed it on to the person who was evicted late last year. Okay, so George is uh, two, two people removed from this situation. Exactly. So there, were no, there was no violence or anything when you were running your business out of that address? Nothing. Nothing. You know, for eight years, one time, there's only one time we called the cops. Hmm. That's all. Most of the hookah bar here in Denver, all what they think about, bring more people, and they don't care about what's happening outside the hookah. 
When I run the business, because it was the first hookah bar open in Denver, I care about everybody coming to my hookah. I don't care about who are you. If you are respecting me, I respect my place, respect my, my employees, respect my customer, you're welcome. If not, they can get kicked out or, you know, we do anything to protect my place. And most of them, the hookah bar in Denver, they don't care about this one. Just open and they try to try make money. Yeah, you want to make money, make money right way, not mm. not this way. So, do you think that the 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 violence and like the trash problems that the neighbors were reporting? Do you think that that's the hookah bar owner or the hookah bar operator's responsibility, yes. or do you think that that was something yeah. else this happening? Is the owner, because he let the trash go inside. If you let the trash go inside your building, what does it look like after this? Gonna be a trash. So George George makes the argument that it's not about the location. It's just more about like, well, what kind of business owner are you, and what are kind you? of business yeah, are you running? And, and so I think that that is a vote of confidence, maybe for the weed lounge, depending on you know what this new owner is is planning on doing, and like the precautions that they're taking, and the goodwill that they're creating with the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. That was my impression as well. It's it's this, it's this uncertainty that's a part of any new business venture, any new regulation that our local government might put in place. Like that, that's what's that's really what's at issue here. Is like you can't know what's going to happen, and for me, that's that's another reason why I wanted to talk to Councilman Clark is because I feel like in these situations when there's so much uncertainty, it's it's a a person in his position, it's his responsibility to offer leadership here. Well, he's balancing the concerns of his community, of his constituency, but he's also, I think, trying to probably be friendly to the business interests in his neighborhood too. I mean, that's the, I think that's one of the finer points of being a council person is your constituency includes residents and business owners, two very different components of a neighborhood. Business owners have a vested interest in a neighborhood in a different way than a neighbor does. And they might not live in the, like the business owner might not live in the neighborhood. And so, I mean, I've just seen this play out in my own neighborhood and I've watched my council person have to negotiate this. And it's tough because she wants, you know, I'm sure Jolan Clark wants new businesses in the neighborhood. They want the economy to be thriving in their particular part of the city, but they also have to say, well, maybe my community has some concerns about what those businesses are. Yeah. And because of that balance that Councilman Clark is trying to trying to keep, I'm sure that he didn't tell you how he feels about the weed lounge one way or the other. Well, let me play you some tape. Let's, uh, let's talk about this new proposal for that the the building owner has to open a new business at that same site what what can you tell me about your perspective on that because it seems to me that the hours that they're proposing are not you know they're not unlimited like the hookah cafe could have but he's saying he wants to be open till 2 a.m on weekends yeah i mean i think that there there's a there are a lot of issues at play with that particular thing uh, you know First of all, there's a, a, a huge saturation of marijuana businesses in that area. Um, second of all, this property and not the, own, the the business owner was told you have to close and leave. The property owner was told because uh, this property was a nuisance to 
the city and the community, you're under a nuisance abatement plan for the next three years. And so that does restrict saying, hey, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, somebody owning a property who wants to do something with it. You're under a, a bigger microscope to prove that you can successfully do something at your property that does not drain all kinds of police resources, cost the city all kinds of money and leave bullet holes in people's homes, right? Uh, you know, there are a lot of other uses on Broadway and a lot of other businesses on Broadway, a lot of other ways to make money on that commercial corridor uh, up and down there that are do not involve, um, uh, you know, the kinds of um, socialization and crowds that could lead to continued nuisance to the neighborhood. And when you've lost the trust of the neighborhood and quite frankly, the city having to take legal action on the nuisance to show that, that you can do that. I think you've got to, um, you got to earn that back in some way. Hmm. So you, so you do have a position on it. You, you think there shouldn't be a, a public consumption lounge. I think he's calling it a lounge at that location. Yes. I am opposed to that license at that, at that location. Hmm. Have you talked to the, the property owner? Property owner still has never reached out to me. Yeah, one thing that stuck out to me was Councilman Clark talking about, well, this new business owner, like they need to rebuild that trust with the neighborhood. And like, you know, it, it maybe that hasn't happened yet. And that's why he doesn't feel good about this business going into place. Is that kind of what Councilman Clark's like argument is like he would like to see like what needs to happen for him to feel good about this weed lounge going in at 1800 South Broadway? Well, I know what I think needs to happen. Yeah. I think all of these people that we've heard from today, every single one of them needs to listen to the other side of the story. And that's including us because I had all of these biases that I'm sure people listening are thinking about. I had all of the same worries. I can empathize with the neighbors for the issues. But when you hear the other side of the story, when you hear the owner talk about why he wants to open this business and what his plan is, I think you might think differently. I also think it just calls into question what is a neighborhood and who is a neighbor? Because when we're pitting people against each other, it's kind of like saying somebody is outside of this sphere. Exactly. And there's a hearing coming up, the excise and license hearing, where all these neighbors have said they're going to show up. And essentially what's going to be happening at that hearing is that we're going to be deciding as a city if they're neighbors with this business owner. Is this person allowed to be their neighbor or not? That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more of our top stories of the year. See you later. Hey.